protests, we walking, raising awareness. Some of the injustice that we've been seeing is not okay. And as a young person, you gotta you gotta listen to our perspective. Our voices need to be heard. People are gonna look back. Our kids are gonna look back at this and say, "You were a part of that." I got a grandfather that marched next to Dr. King in the '60s, and he was amazing. He would be proud to see us all here. We gotta keep pushing forward. Sports are like the reward of a functional society. Sirius XM Sports presents Forward Progress, a weekly open conversation on race and sports in America. Here are your hosts, Jason Jackson and Kirk Morrison. Great to be back with you on the program. Kirk and Jax, ready to roll. Looking forward to a visit with uh, Lee Butler, the assistant commissioner from the ACC, as uh, the student-athletes throughout their 15-member institutions have completed Unity Week. We want to share with you, it's their third edition, so we'll share with you exactly what they've been up to in that space, celebrating, impacting, um, their commitment to social justice and racial equality. A little bit later in the program, uh, my new best friend, the athletic director at Florida A&M. My youngest son will be there uh, in about uh, two months. Two months, yeah. workouts, okay? <laughs> By the way, um, Courtney uh, Gaucher is actually gonna be on this program totally separate from that announcement last week, which what makes this show so awesome, Kirk. This cross-section of conversation of race and athletics, and it's in my own home. <laughs> that's perfect, man. Look at that, man. Hey, congrats, by the way, too, man. You deserve congrats, man. I know that's, that's a proud papa right there, you know? Yeah, so, man. Everybody listening, man, make sure y'all uh, tweet at Jax. <laughs> tell him congratulations, man. I just, trust me, I, you know, with this being NFL Draft Week as well, um, you, know, I, I, you know, dreams come true, man. And I know, yes. I, I remember seeing my dad's face, you know, when I got drafted, you know, let alone the college scholarship was, was great, but when I got drafted, just those, those, I remember those moments, right? And so I can only imagine uh, the proud papa you are, man. So, man, congrats to you. I wish it uh, to you someday here down the road. <laughs> yes, appreciate uh, it. man, listen, um, someone said it best in, in my mentions recently, uh, and both my sons, collegiate student athletes, what you think about most, and particularly because it's coming to a close for my oldest as he graduates from college and heads to grad school in Ohio, and now that the second one is going into this other space, we haven't had a revenue sport yet. So we're excited mm -hmm. yeah. about what this means, <laughs> different, different resources and whatnot, um, is that you spend all that time trying to find the right space, the right yes. coaches, uh, the driving, the, the, the flying, the hotel, the rooms, the food. We invented our own travel team because a team fell apart on us two years ago. So like all of that sacrifice and mm -hmm. dealing with parents with unrealistic expectations and coaches with um, agendas that don't align and all that stuff, right? Oh yeah, politics. <laughs> when it comes down to the thing that you envisioned a decade ago being real, then it hits you the right way. And it's also nice that it's not out of my pocket anymore. <laughs> that's, the, that's the big one. Trust me. That's the big one. And I always remember, trust me, when the, my dad gave me the keys to the car, he just said, man, you, you're welcome. And I said, oh, yeah. If I didn't get a scholarship, you wouldn't have gave me this. So let's stop it, man. <laughs> but it's all good. Though. But no, I, I appreciate those, Jax, man. I mean, coming, congrats again to you. I, you. I just know how huge that is. And oh. So Get, proud of getting ready to navigate this world, though, right? To navigate the world that we're in now. You know, it's one thing to to be able to be under, you know, the, in the nest, 
Mm-hmm. But now to leave that nest and ho- the hope that all that you have entrusted in him and instilled in him, exactly. that he can carry it on to uh, to his to his new university. Nine hours up the road. You know you're in a long state. We might not be a big state like California, no, but a long no. state when it takes nine hours and you're still in the state. <laughs> I didn't, trust me, I didn't drove through Florida before. And I didn't drove through these panhandles and and just evergrey everglades and just green and trust me, the the state uh it changes politically throughout as you drive through. <laughs> um sections change and all of a sudden you get down to you know, because having played in Jacksonville, it was a little bit different, more conservative. When I tell people I played in Jacksonville for a year, it was mo- mm-hmm. the most eye-opening experience of my life, Jax. I bet. First of all, because I'm coming from a blue state in California. And then I went down to Florida. The way things, di- just the way things operated were different. The way people mm-hmm. talked were different, right? The landscape was, and I'm just like, whoa. Duval. Yeah. I, needed, I needed to see that, though. It right. helped me. Understanding, right? It helped me understand that, hey, you know, it, it was one thing, like I said, to, to come out every morning and to see this guy who had a Ford Bronco with a Confederate flag on it. You know what I mean? Like, I needed to see that. In California, we ain't getting that. Understood. Florida, I'm sitting blessing. here like... Oh, man, it is... It's, it's, it's different, but, you know, I um, like I said, that's, that's part of, I think, the maturation that I went through. And that's part of me learning that not everybody is going to agree with what you agree with or see the world the way that you see it. Everybody sees the world differently. I'm so glad you brought that up. You like that segue? A buddy (laughs) of mine who is in Atlanta. Okay. uh, Shared with me what has become an episode of note. Mm. Um, One of the commentators, former Congressman Rick Santorum was giving a speech, I assume to some young Republicans, if I could, these young conservatives, who knows what's going on with that party right now. Yeah. And uh, had some things to say about the general basic founding of America. Rick's not ignorant. Rick is conservative and Rick has a certain view of the world. Before I get into it with you and (laughs) our friends in the Native American community and many others that should have spoke spoke up after this, let's play this. If you think about this country, I don't know of any other country in the world that was settled predominantly by people who were coming to practice their faith. They came here because they were not allowed to practice their particular faith in their own country. And so they came here mostly from Europe and they set up a country that was based on Judeo-Christian principles. When I say Judeo-Christian, the Mosaic laws, Ten Commandments, and the teachings of Jesus Christ, the morale, the morals and, and teachings of Jesus Christ. That's, that's what our founding documents are based upon. It's in our DNA. You know, if you think of other countries like Italy and Greece and China and Turkey and places like that, they've all sort of changed over time. I mean, they've been, they've been there for, for millennia in many cases. And their culture has sort of evolved over time. But not us. We came here and created a blank slate. We, we birthed a nation from nothing. I mean, there's nothing here. I mean, yes, we have Native Americans, but, if, but candidly, that, that, there isn't much Native American culture in American culture. It, it was born of the people who came here pursuing religious liberty 
to practice their faith, to live as they ought to live, and have the freedom to do so. Religious liberty. Those are the two bulwarks of America. Faith and freedom. I mean, you hear it all the time now. Faith and freedom, faith and freedom. But it is what makes America unique in the world. Oh, man. Now, here's, here's one thing that's been real disappointing for me. Okay. Before we even get into this wonderful retort uh, from the uh, Congress of uh, American Indians. CNN, why are you so quiet? Right. Now, the very first thing people like to jump on, Kirk, is freedom of speech. Freedom of speech, Jax. Let me help you fully understand what freedom of speech and everything in the Bill of Rights provides you blanket and coverage. It's against going to jail presented by any government. Mm -hmm. and, and that is all. You know what I'm saying? You get to be blanketed from prosecution, right. from government, as pertains to the things you said. Not your employer, not the opinion of the people, not the Twitter sphere, which sometimes might come and get you. Your freedom of speech begins and ends with a lack of prosecution for these 10 things that have been provided. That's it. Everything else you have to deal with like a grown person. Right. And that's what Rick Santorum is dealing with right now. So what I have for you right now is, or I should say some of the thoughts from the president, the mm -hmm. Congress of American Indians. There's so much. There's a lot. I know. There's I can't so much. even digest. There's so much. But I want to say, before I correct the record, it's, it's the very first statement. Let me address Rick Santorum directly without mincing words. Rick Santorum is an unhinged and embarrassing racist who disgraces CNN and any other media company that provides him a platform. Out the jump, here right. I come. All right? So let's move forward because it, it's, it's just glorious in every word, but I want to get this stuff in for you. I moved down a couple paragraphs in the response to correct the record. What European colonizers found in the Americas were thousands of complex, sophisticated, and sovereign tribal nations, each with millennia of distinct culture, spiritual, and technological development. So we're gonna correct that first. Right. Right? There's so much stuff to correct, I'm just gonna stay in this little pocket today um, because there's just so much bullshit that oh. radiated out of that man's mouth. And I'm fine with elements of why some folks found their way here or how some of them found their way here, but please believe me, the folks who preceded, who joined them and came after, we're here for financial gain as well, if not primarily. Mm -hmm. A new space for trade, a new space to grab um, elements to trade. I'm gonna hit one more thing. This thing is beautiful right now. You ready for this one? Yeah, I'm, I'm listening to all oh of it. Oh my God, I can't wait. Uh, here, This is over millennia. They bred, cultivated, and showed the world how to utilize such plants as cotton, hello, rubber, chocolate, corn, 
potatoes, tomatoes, and tobacco. Imagine the history of the United States without the economic contributions of cotton and tobacco alone. It's inconceivable. Wow. Man, listen, I want to keep going on and on and on, but I want to get you in here because as the, the president noted from this organization, hopefully sophisticated and humane Native American philosophy will win out over the caveman mentality of people like Rick Santorum. Then the survival of the human race itself will be one more contribution that Native Americans made to the world. You're on our rest, my case. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. Just uh just even going back to just listen to that. And uh, you know, I'm glad that you brought it up because sometimes you're saying like this has to be a joke. Like you you can't be serious. And how can you see America differently than the way I saw it? Cause the way that it was taught to me back in grade school was remember. Christopher Columbus came and he sailed and he found a nation, right? He found a country. That's what we were taught. But as we think about the research that you have, one has to do, you realize that there were people who are already, and I'll make sure I want to say this right, settled on this country. There were people who are already lived here. They were settled, right? Mm -hmm. It's just like, if I go to somebody's house, like, oh, you know what? I'm about to just live in your house. Like, no, excuse me. I've lived here. I'm set. I'm not going to kick you out of your house. No, I live here. And I bring it up because I think when you do the research, you realize that this country was never truly just founded. It was taken. And it was taken from folks who had already been here, who I'd said of the tribal nations that you mentioned. And yet a lot of people have to understand that this country was built on the backs. We think of we know of African-Americans as well. Come on, bringing over slaves from Africa and the work that was done by the African-Americans or or just the, the slaves who happen to now were African now being brought to America and now being turned into, oh no, you're African American, but yet you're still not considered a whole human being. You're still considered uh, a quarter of a man or a half a man. You still don't have the same rights to vote and things like that to where you can talk about the religious freedoms. Then people came over to do religious freedoms. Come on, man. That's that. That's not the case. Yeah, America has its own freedom, but also America has to understand that we do need to evolve. That's the one thing that the, the whole entire thing that he talked about, right? The one thing that I all the only thing that I agree with is that we do need to evolve as a country. We need to evolve to understand that we are all different, but yet we are all equal. You made it sound like evolving was a bad thing. Right? Yeah. Like, like, how dare these other nations become, <laughs> become something other than they were 3,000, 10,000 years ago. Right? We got cell phones and computers, man. We're not doing like <laughs> We ain't riding ponies no more. Yeah, this ain't it. Club, we, maybe. We, might we ain't ride. doing telegrams and, hey, go send this down, down south. And you got to wait three weeks to get a message. Like, no, I can send you a message and it'll be there in 2.3 seconds, maybe less than that. But when, when, when he said evolving, and I'm saying you, you have to evolve in terms of, I remember like my dad would always tell me, it don't matter what it is, because if you cut me open, we all bleed red. 
we are all we're mm. all we may look different we may sound different but man when you cut us open we all bleed the same i didn't think there could be more hubris inside of white supremacy mm. than simply believing that white was supreme this takes it to a whole nother level. Nothing was in America before the white folks got here. That is, that's, <laughs> that's crazy. And this man still is currently a senior political commentator for CNN, hard pass. We gotta take a break. <laughs> a little bit later, uh, our buddy, uh, Courtney Ngoche, the athletic director at FAMU. But when we come back, ACC, Assistant Commissioner Lee Butler will introduce us to Unity Week. It's the spring edition, by the way. We'll learn all about that coming up when we come back here on Forward Progress. You're listening to Forward Progress on Sirius XM Radio. Forward Progress continues. It's Morrison, it's Jackson, and we're so happy to talk about uh, what has been so instrumental since last summer, and that's the involvement of young folks in this conversation of social justice and racial equality. Uh, particularly this week, um, the ACC uh, had a spring unity week. They've had this unite mentality for some time now, and we welcome to the program uh, Assistant Commissioner from the ACC, Lee Butler. Lee, thank you so much for taking the time and joining us and just kind of walk us through the progression of how a lot of this messaging came from your student athletes in wanting to have this power to send out the appropriate message. Uh, thank you guys for having me. Uh, student athletes have led this movement, uh, finding their voice in activism and encouraging us as a conference, uh, as a membership of 15 institutions to come to the forefront and be a leader in advocating for social justice, uh, racial justice. And so uh, hats off to our student athletes, our coaches, our administrators on our campuses and the leadership in our league office uh, for hearing our student athletes and taking uh, the lead on such an important, important topic in today's world. You know, Lee, well, the, the role of guiding and organizing is always something that I think young people want to have because they have a lot of ideas. And I remember when I was young, too, as well, I had a lot of ideas, but I needed that guidance to make sure I'm doing the right thing and not just doing maybe what politically people may want me to do or what we're hearing on the outside. How does that work in terms of being able to be a guiding factor for a lot of these athletes who want to go out and invoke change in their, in their communities? Now, you're right, Kirk. A lot of our student athletes have a ton of ideas, right? Um, <laughs> but you got to be meticulous in how you go about your messaging uh, and making sure that you live the messaging that you are putting out. And so, thankfully, we've got great resources on our campuses. Uh, those administrators I mentioned earlier, our coaches, head coaches, assistant coaches, and support staff members uh, to help our student athletes navigate these waters. Because it can be tricky. It can be a challenge. And student athletes have to know if you're going to go into activism, if you're going to go into exercising your voice on some of these topics, it's not always going to be popular. You know, you're not always going to get a pat on the back. You're not always going to get the applause. There are a lot of people that may not believe in what you believe in. Uh, so that needs to be established up front. Uh, but again, those resources that we have on campus, the resources that we have at the league office, that's what we're here for, to help our student athletes navigate that. And that was a part of our Unity Week this past week. We did a three-part webinar series where we talked about activism through sports. 
that was the topic of our Spring Unity Week. And our first presenter that we had on Tuesday night was Dr. Joseph Cooper, who was an author and special advisor for Black Life at UMass Boston. And he said a lot of great things and left a lot of gems for our student athletes and coaches and administrators to hear. And I'll mention just a couple of them that really jumped out at me. He talked about a difference of opinion does not have to equal divisiveness. It does not have to equal disrespect. It does not have to equal degradation. And so that's one of the, the key messages to our student athletes is you can have a difference of opinion with a teammate, with a coach, but it doesn't have to be divisive. It doesn't have to be disrespectful. It doesn't mean you can't work together for, for a common good. A couple other messages that he left the group with were listening for understanding. When you're having these conversations, these difficult conversations with your teammates and others, listen and seek to understand, engage in empathy. Uh, and then the third one, which I thought was so powerful, were the different types of activism. Like you talked about, Kirk, student athletes have a lot of ideas and a lot of it centers around like media activism, right? What right. you see on social media, what you see on TV. But there's different types of activism. There's economic activism where you can where you decide how you spend your money and where you spend your money. Legal activism, uh, what lawsuits you support, right? Music and art activism, that's one that's not often thought about. Scholarly activism, what you study, what you write about. Civic activism, that's the more than a vote movement we saw leading up to the election. Uh, so there's lots of different types of activism and that's another thing that I would encourage student athletes to figure out is what are you comfortable with? What suits you? Because media activism might not be for everybody. Mm -hmm. There's other ways that, that you can advocate for the change that you'd like to see. Lee Butler, Assistant Commissioner, ACC, with us here on Forward Progress. Uh, not only is this idea massive, and there has to be this incremental uh, commitment to permanent change in anything, particularly in this space, uh, this has not been the most easy uh it's been now 16, 17 months of trying to do such things uh, because not only are your member institutions where they are, uh, but we, we've just been trying to exist in this pandemic along with doing these things. You guys have now had three of these Unity Weeks, uh, the challenges and also some of the triumphs that you've had having to do all of this virtually. Yeah, it's definitely been a challenge, uh, but a challenge that the reward has, has outweighed any of the hardships that we've had. Uh, but like anything, the, the hardest part is pulling all your members together, right? We got 15 different schools and we've got 10,000 student athletes in our conference and everybody may have a different idea of what's best for them or what they really want to champion. Um, so that's always just a natural challenge. Another one that's just been some of the response and pushback. Like I mentioned earlier, this is not always popular. You know, it, to us, it may seem like, hey, fighting for racial justice and social justice is a no-brainer, but not everybody is on board with that. And I think you know, student athletes and coaches and, and even administrators found that out um, throughout the course of this academic year. I mean, we've all read the articles about you know, donors that have threatened to withhold uh, their giving because, you know, a student athlete chose to demonstrate in whatever way, whether it was kneeling for the anthem or putting a social justice message on the back of their jersey. Uh, so that, that real response and pushback from some fans, I think, has been difficult. Uh, 
for some of our student athletes and coaches. Right? They always say, hey, you love me when I score. You love me when I have my jersey on. I need you to love me away from the field as well. So I know that's been a challenge. Again, the reward has been uh, has far outweighed it. We've done some great things as a conference, and, and I'll just go into a couple of them. Again, we've done a lot here in this space, but one of the first things we did as a conference was establish mandatory diversity and inclusion training for all of our student athletes, all athletic department staff, and all conference office staff. So this year's focus was on anti-racism, and it was up to each campus and our league office um, put together anti-racism training for staff, for student athletes, for coaches, and attest to that uh, training. So that was one of the most impactful things we did. We worked with our institutions to increase voter education and voter turnout uh, with some of our schools even serving as polling places. And that, again, was not telling our student athletes and coaches who to vote for, but rather educating them on how to vote. Uh, because just like Kurt, when you were playing football, and Jason, you know this in the NBA, players, that's a transient community. And so you may not always be a resident in the location that you're playing. So helping our student athletes and coaches get registered uh, wherever they are permanent residents, how to get their ballots in and get their, uh, get their vote counted. You know, one of the things I remember from last year was during when everything was going in terms of the protests, um, you know, the guys walking in unity. I remember Trevor Lawrence, uh, quarterback, be the first overall pick in the NFL draft coming up this week. And Dabo Sweeney, his head coach at Clemson and the Clemson players who went out and had that march, that 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 protest and the, the amount of pushback that they got. In, in some of their own communities and guys had no idea. And I thought it was an awakening for a lot of the coaching staffs to really put and make sure that they were aware that, look, when these players are on campus, they're, they're, they're sort of safe. But when they go off campus and they see that this is a different world that you live in, right? When you're on campus, things are great, but off the field or off campus, it's something different out there. And so how when you, can, can you speak to that, Lee, in terms of how these different, I would say, off-campus entities in the 15 different universities, how we can kind of, the message can change from university to university in terms of what's going on on the outside. Yeah, and I, and I think that was, I would say the top two lessons, the most difficult lessons I think we all learned as we embarked on this journey was one, that not everybody believes in what we believe in, that everybody's going to buy in. And then two, it's not going to fix itself overnight. Correct. And, you know, the systems that have been put in place um, have been in place for hundreds of years. And we're not going to fix those systems and tear those systems down in 12 months, in, in 15 months. This is going to be a lifetime's worth of work. Uh, but again, our campuses have done a great job in navigating their individual right their individual challenges. And it's mm -hmm. different, right? Our schools in the South and right. their constituents and their fan bases and the people in their local community, they might have a different outlook and a different challenge than some of our schools in the North or some of our schools in cities that have a lot more diversity. Um, and so one of the great things about our core group, which is our ACC group um, that is advocating for racial and social justice is we have representatives from each campus as part of our core committee. 
And when we meet together as a group, the campus reps share their challenges and share how they're dealing with certain things in their community, on their campus, within their athletic department. And that's been extremely helpful for us as a league. And that's one of, one of the things that I love the most about when we get together as a group and meet is hearing them share best practices and helping each other out and navigate those challenges. I was told, make sure we get core in the show. <laughs> Mrs. Jackson made it plain. Champions of Racial Equity, uh, a, a great organization within the ACC member schools. Uh, this is Lee Butler from the ACC with us here on Forward Progress. Uh, there, there was one aspect of, of your ACC Unity Week celebration I think you touched on and also jumps off the page, and it was encouraging your uh, member institutions to participate in the Unity Walk uh, in recognition uh, of the schools, the 1.5 and the 15, and, and participating in this space. But you all also in, participated in uh, the Unity Walk with your conference office and reached wonderfully outside of the ACC to be inclusive of North Carolina A&T. Talk to us about the significance. Absolutely, and the Unity Walk concept uh, was one that came straight from our student athlete advisory committee, straight from our student athletes. So each of our campuses were gonna do their own Unity Walk and as the leaders of the conference, the league office, uh, our boss, our commissioner, Jim Phillips said, hey, we need to be participating, we need to be leading in this. And so we had an amazing experience as part of our Unity Walk on Monday of this week. And we met uh, at North Carolina A&T State University, which is one of the historically uh, black colleges and universities here in Greensboro. And we met at a monument that celebrates the Greensboro Four, and, and I'm gonna get into them in a second. And what we did is we walked a mile and a half from North Carolina A&T State University to the former Woolworths business, which is now a uh, civil rights museum. And I'm gonna talk about the significance of that walk. On February 1st, 1960, there were four North Carolina A&T students that walked from campus to the Woolworths business in downtown Greensboro. And those four young brothers, black men, sat down at the lunch counter at Woolworths and tried to order a meal. Yep. At that time, Woolworths policy was to only serve whites. And so the four, Young students from North Carolina a were asked to get up and leave, and they did not get up and leave. They sat there in their seats until that business closed that night on February 1st. While they were sitting there, people started noticing what was going on, and media started showing up. And so the next day, February 2nd, those four students from a and came back and sat down at the same lunch counter. And on February 3rd, they came back again and sat down at that same lunch counter, still with Woolworths refusing to serve them. And on February 5th, there were 300 students that had now joined them in a sit-in at Woolworths. Media was covering it. That movement spread to college cities in the South, and by the end of March, had spread to 55 cities and 13 states. And so a great, great show of courage. Uh, and in response, to the success of the sit-in movement, dining facilities across the South started integrating that very same summer of 1960. And at the end of July, 1960, while the North Carolina A&T students, most of them were home for summer break, Woolworths actually integrated their lunch counter 
So just four months after those four courageous students went and sat down and asked to be served, uh, started that sit-in movement, just four months after that, that business integrated its lunch counter uh, and lots of, of other dining facilities across the South did the same. So again, a great show of, of courage, peaceful protest, um, and to walk that same route that those four students walked from their university to that business something that I'll never forget and, and a highlight of this academic year for me personally. I know we got to let you go, Lee, but uh, last one for me is that um, with the ACC being, I would say, in sort of the heart uh, bed of uh, HBCUs and the understanding of what the HBCU means and kind of to where we are right now currently, how do you in this diversity and inclusion space also educate the new students that have to understand where we've come from and where we are now. Yeah, education is important. That's one of our pillars uh, for how we are advocating and pushing for change. We do it through education, uh, through partnerships, through advocating and engaging. So the education piece is key. Uh, we you know, started a book club with our staff uh, at the ACC office. Uh, just to educate folks on the systems that are in place and how we got to the point that we are. Right. I think resource sharing is something that's really important for the schools at our level that typically have more resources than the HBCU. And so, you know, anytime we have a chance to play those schools, play the HBCUs, and maybe pay them or give them an opportunity to fill their building. You know, Notre Dame men's basketball was scheduled to play at Howard this past academic year and because COVID and some other things, that didn't happen, but they're going to make that game up. I think those types of, of things that we can do from our seat uh, are key, are huge, to help prop up our HBCUs. Uh, I think that's part of our, our obligation, to bring others along with us and share our resources. It's been a fantastic visit. We appreciate it. We look forward to chatting with you again about any wonderful things your student-athletes are up to to expand this message, this theme of social justice and racial equality. I know that uh, the conference is committed uh, for this to be a permanent aspect of mm -hmm. life and living it in the ACC. Lee, thank you. Absolutely. This is going to be the fabric of who we are, and I appreciate you all having me. Once again, we thank ACC Assistant Commissioner Lee Butler for the time and information. We'll take a quick break now. When we come back, the athletic director. Fangs up, everybody. Here you go. <laughs> From FAMU. I know all the hashtags now, brother. You know that. Courtney Gauthier with us here on Forward Progress when we come back. You're listening to Sirius XM Radio. We now return to Forward Progress. Here's Jason Jackson and Kirk Morrison. The program continues. It is Forward Progress, and let's go to Tallahassee. Now, usually, Kirk, in my household, Tallahassee's a curse word, okay? <laughs> okay? That's because of Florida State. But that's not the only institution of higher education in that place. As a matter of fact, the only one that matters now, particularly in my household, is the Florida A&M University. Listen, their athletic director, their vice president, is now with us here on the program, Courtney Gauthier. Courtney, first of all, let's just be honest, all right? We have, we, we're going to put it all out there. We have some interwoven pre-existing conditions. Uh, first of all, this man came uh, to this institution to elevate everything in athletics from the U, all right, which is across the street from my house. 
and some of the household income comes from the University of Miami. So we, we will connect that first dot. The second dot is everybody knows who listens to this program or anything over on NBA radio. Uh, my second son uh, is uh, moving from Co Christopher Columbus High School uh, to become a Rattler. A Florida a &M. Uh, I would say this fall, but y'all snatching them up there second week of June. Good Lord. Gotta get them. Gotta get them. <laughs> it's great. It's great to have you on the program. Um, great to talk to you about uh, being at the helm of an HBCU and the things that you had to do when you arrived in December of 2019 to get to this position where you are, as you like to say around there, and I think I've heard this one place or another, building champions we are we are yeah. so jason i appreciate it and, and obviously the, the warm introduction and uh you know we go way back as he talked about the the connection at the u um i didn't have to change colors uh so we <laughs> we really we, we stayed yeah, orange yeah. and green that was the good <laughs> thing about it um but I, i'll tell you this and, and and i've had some stops at intercollegiate athletics you know prior to florida a m uh, but this experience here and to be at the helm at this time of where we are in our society and in our country, I couldn't imagine being anywhere else other than Florida A&M. And, um, to some, especially in intercollegiate athletics, you know, historically black colleges came with a certain stigma. It's like, well, wait a minute, you know, you're, you're, you're going to an HBCU and, and I truly fell in love with the place because the standard of excellence, um, that, that is established here. Um, and so when you really look at the history of Florida A&M, you go back to Althea Gibson, uh, who was the first to blaze a trail in, in tennis. There wouldn't be a Serena or, or you know, a Venus Williams. Uh, you, you talk about Coach Jake Gaither and what he did for college, what we know today to be college football. Um, you know, and the list goes on and on. You know, Bullet Bob Hayes, you know, who, who really blazed the trail in, in track and, and one of the only persons – uh, in the world today to have a gold medal and a, a Super Bowl ring. And so you talk about excellence, um, you know, the broadcast journalism, Pam Oliver uh, ran track here at Florida A&M. And so time and time again, you really look at that rich tradition and that history. You say, I want to be a part of that legacy. I, I want to uh, elevate this brand and, and some of the things that have happened at this institution to where everybody in this country knows about it. And so uh, that has been our mission. Um, you know, our staff, we talk about operating, um, you know, that purpose has a pace. And so we've done a lot really quickly, uh, but it, it's on purpose. And uh, we're really excited about some of the great things happening here, including uh, your second son coming on uh, with our basketball program and um, really taking our partnership and, and our, our basketball program to the next level, um, you know, on many fronts. Absolutely. You know, Courtney, how do you expand that brand, though? Because a lot of people do know that brand. But as you now get into a space in which you're still trying to bring more and more attention, not just to HBCUs, but to FAMU in general, how do you expand that brand without trying to overly promote yourself? Absolutely. Well, one of the things that we do here is, uh, and uh, Jason, you'll, you'll use this line eventually, but we brag different. Uh, and, uh, that's because, you know, the, the, the stats, uh, they don't, they don't lie. Uh, we graduate, we're the number one public HBCU in the country. Um, and 
our academic rigor, um, it's easier to get into Harvard than it is Florida A&M. <laughs> and, uh, and we're serious about that. But uh, to graduate more pharmacists than anyone else in the country, to graduate uh, people from our world-class uh, business and industry programs, um, you know, th those are some of the things that when people hear it and they see it, um, it sets us apart from a lot of our peers, not just HBCUs, but peers in higher education. Um, to your point, when people understand that and they realize just how rich that history is, and I'll use prime example, Nike, um, you know, we are the first and, and only LeBron James school. Um, that partnership and that connection with LeBron um, is going to elevate our brand into an, a national stage. Um, to learn and to share some of the great things that are happening here across the country. Um, you know, in the West Coast, there aren't any HBCUs. And so, again, for, for people that look like us, uh, for, for minorities, uh, there are institutions who are doing things um, and creating an environment of success that you can be comfortable in, that diversity and inclusion is not just a statement, it's the way that we operate. And so we're really excited about that. I just want a quick follow on that because I'm in Los Angeles, Cordy, okay? So I know there are no HBCUs, but I know the brand. So how do you push that brand further out west to bring people coming all the way down to the south, to Tallahassee? So part of that is is recruiting. Um, you know, and obviously COVID-19 hadn't done us any favors. Um, but, but we will definitely try to get across the country. And we actually host a very large event in L.A., um, and it, it's hosted uh, most of the time on an annual basis by uh, several of our Rattlers there. And um, the senior vice president of the L.A. Sparks, uh, Miss Natalie White, is actually a Rattler. And so, um, again, we're everywhere. Uh, I'll never forget the first week I, take, I took the job. I was in the airport in Atlanta and I flew to Boston. And I, I kind of felt like a celebrity because I was like, well, wait a minute, <laughs> you know, like what's going on here? And so uh, people do identify with the brand. And so, again, continuing to elevate that um, word of mouth um, and to continue to, to graduate first class students, um, you know, as they go out into the world and work for some of these larger corporations. Um, you know, remembering how they got their start and where it originated. Courtney Gaucher is the vice president and director of athletics at Florida A&M University. And uh, you, you talk about everybody coming out to Waterworks with their FAMU stuff for me now. I mean, uh, listen, there were folks that showed up at the signing at Columbus High School, Kirk, the other day with T-shirts that I didn't even know they owned <laughs> I'm like, oh, I've known you for 17 years. Yeah. How do I know you're not a rattler? He said, listen, you, 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 you created a little something. You, it's like I was brought into a club. Right? Oh, yeah. we, we call it the family. Yeah, family. <laughs> okay. Yes, you do. It's something else. Talk to us about this movement, this, this conference movement mm -hmm. uh, that you are uh, spent so long uh, in the MEAC and now this move to the SWAC. What, what are the advantages of all of that? Absolutely. And, and the landscape of intercollegiate athletics is changing rapidly. Um, and, and for us, uh, we have been longstanding members in the MEAC for 40 years, had a lot of success. But the geography and the footprint of the league had really just changed drastically. And so, um, you know, the footprint from as far south as Tallahassee, Florida to Dover, Delaware. Um, and so for us, we started really looking at other options. And uh, we landed with the Southwestern Athletic Conference 
But now it puts us in a category where we are with the perennial HBCUs, um, with the large fan bases similar to ours. Um, the geography works for our fans to get to games. And, and so now being able to play Alabama State on a regular basis, Jackson State, uh, which will actually be down in, in your, your uh, territory, Jason, uh, uh, Labor Day weekend. Uh, and we've told people, look, if, if, if you don't have a pulse for college football, then that's the place to be Labor Day weekend. And so uh, we'll be able to fill up Hard Rock Stadium. And, uh, you know, and, and that's what really the move was about, was to be able to, to tie those perennial blue bloods together uh, to make sure that the student athlete experience was first class and, and that they're not spending 17 hours traveling to Delaware and they have to turn around and go to class. Um, now it just makes sense economically. Um, but again, to be able to put some of these, these, these brands together in major cities um, to generate revenues and have a platform that they hadn't had before. And into some of the initiatives in which the athletic department and off the school and also the school in terms of what's going on in the community and what's going on and in, in being aware of the, the, the change in our country as well. How are you also getting that message across to not only your student athletes, but also the students on campus? Well, absolutely. I think right now, again, and we've seen it, we, we talk about um, the importance of uh, diversity and inclusion. And for so many of our peers, they're, they're trying to understand what that means. Well, we live it every day here. And so our student athletes have really had an opportunity to lead the way in those conversations. Um, we are located in the state capitol. And so uh, several of our student athletes have organized marches. Um, and, and again, we registered a significant amount. I think we had 100% of our student athletes registered to vote. And that was a great opportunity um, for our young, young people to really lead the way uh, and talk about how to do things the right way. But to continue that advocacy, you know, education, you know, we listen to our student athletes to talk about what they experience in their daily lives. And we as an administration try to advise them uh, based off of those circumstances. And again, um, it's a pivotal time where leadership is important in our country. And uh, we tell them, and, and I've told people when I took the job, because I'm the youngest Division I athletic director in the country, that, that leadership doesn't have an age. It doesn't have a, a skin color. Uh, and it doesn't have a sex. And so for our young people, we're expecting them to, to line up on Saturdays and, 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 to, and to dribble the ball on Saturdays and be leaders on the court. They can also do it in our society. And I do believe firmly that Florida A&M University empowers and always has empowered our young people to do that. My good man, thank you for the time. We'll see you in six weeks and we're leaving something <laughs> precious. Sounds good. Yeah. We're doing it. All right, that's Courtney. Will. Come on, right. you know it right. without a doubt. It's Courtney O'Shea, Vice President <laughs> and Director of Athletics <laughs> at uh, Florida Agricultural and Mechanical University. I'll give it the full government name on that one. <laughs> uh, Courtney, we appreciate the time. Thanks to Lee Butler as well from the ACC for swinging by. For Kirk Morrison, I'm Jason Jackson and our producer, Brunel Brown. We'll talk to you next time.